had a lot of ideas about masculinity, about who I had to be to be seen as a man. Not like, not even like so other people would see me as a man, but so that like I could prove that I was a good man, you know, like that I was capable of making a lot of money to take care of my family. Like that if that like being able to like take care of them and pay the bills and like even like my wife makes more money than me and I it, it was like a real thing in the beginning that I was like oh that feels terrible I don't like it everyone's gonna know that I suck and that I'm not a real man because I don't have the same earning potential because I don't have the same male privilege I didn't walk through the world through it and I don't know how to just take what I want and I don't like all those sort of things I had all this story about it and the truth is is like actually now I'm like get get yours babe yeah I'm here hanging out. You want me to work three days a week and you'll work five? That's wicked. I'm into it. I'll just be the farmer, stay-at-home dad. Cool. That was Nick North, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 201. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me. The podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. This month, To celebrate reaching our 200th episode, I've invited three favorite past guests back to the show, all folks whose stories we have loved hearing in the past, and they are joining me for a conversation about milestones, change, and celebration in their own lives. Last week, we heard from Mara Glatzel, and today we are joined by Nick North, one of the most popular guests of 2019. Having these particularly special conversations is just my way of celebrating the body of work that we've created here together on this 100% listener-funded show. (laughs) I'm so proud of that. Over these 200, well, now 201 episodes, we've talked about a lot of things, everything from sex and money to death, diet culture, long-distance hiking, you know, running, chasing big dreams, and so much more. It has been a real delight for me and an honor, to be honest, to host these conversations, none of which would have been possible without the 400 plus people in our Patreon community, whose conversations of $1 or more per episode are what make this entire show and all of my work possible. If you'd love to see the show continue, I hope that you will come and join us at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette if you are able to do so. It's a ton of fun over there, and we'd love to have you. In the meantime... Let's get right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Nick North. Nick describes himself as a dude, a husband, a dad to five kids, and a branding strategist. He also has a history of living as a woman, a wife, a mom, a photographer, and one of those fancy director of marketing positions. When he embraced his identity and came out as transgender, he realized just how much gender affects the way that we think, talk, sell, and function. He now speaks from his experience on both sides of the gender coin, empowering people of all genders to live authentically and powerfully, while also making more money following their passions and their gut. In this episode, Nick joins me to share the story of an important milestone in his life as a trans man, and he talks all about why September 14th will always be a special day for him. You'll see. All of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at realtalkradiopodcast.com. All right, we are good to go. Nick, welcome back to the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. I feel super jazzed to be here. 
if I'm being completely honest, the moment that we hung up when we finished recording when you were on like over a year ago, literally one of my first thoughts was, when can we do that again? So I'm very selfishly excited that you're back. I love it. We'll just make it a yearly occurrence, maybe like a regular column, you know, Real talk with Nick's could be like a little, yeah, like a little thing. We we don't know. Oh my gosh, the the, the Nick Nicole real talk. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Yes, I love it. I mean, so, I feel like your name should come first because you, you know, you started it. You are the founding member and the the real engine behind the whole thing. And I just showed up now, so I, like <laughs> you should, you could have the name, the first name on the name title here. I cannot think of something I could care about less than the order of names, but I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> you know, in law firms, that's a big deal, named partners. Whatever. I know, I know. I'm not fancy enough to care about that, I think. Um, or rather, I think in law firms, it potentially, I mean, this is, I'm completely making this up. I have no idea, but I would assume the higher named you are, that has something to do with like the way profit is shared, maybe. And <laughs> I would assume. Certainly not what's happening really here. So. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, all I know about this world is from watching Suits, so I don't actually have any real data here. So that's our disclaimer for everyone listening. This is not legal advice. This is not legal advice. <laughs> so as you know, of course, this month um, we are celebrating the 200th episode of Real Talk Radio, which, yeah, thanks, got me thinking more generally about milestones and change and celebration. And that's why you're here to share some stories about your own milestones, big or small, things that have felt significant for you in your life and work. I have been um, thinking for a couple of years just about the value of celebrating and even celebrating small things. And I'm someone who's really quick to just blow past things like, oh, it's not that big of a deal or, oh, it doesn't really matter. And I think that there can be something really lovely about you know, marking the passage of time and marking things that are important and taking the time to celebrate that, you know? Yeah. I also am the person who's really, really, really terrible at it. I'm the person who's like, oh, I've moved the bar before I actually even like, as I'm hitting the like goal, I like shoot it forwards. And I'm like, well, I guess it wasn't that impressive. I mean, anyone could have changed their gender. It's not a big deal. <laughs> obviously, like, you know, it's just, it's just this thing that uh, I, I think I'm uncomfortable in the spotlight, which is silly because I also like the spotlight, but I'm uncomfortable in, in the praise. I like struggle with that. Yeah, I think for me, I'm uncomfortable feeling like I asked to be in the spotlight. That's sort of what I've come to. Mm -hmm. If, you know, organically, let's say you're at a party and you're telling a story or something and attention winds up being on you that feels organic, that feels really fine for me. I'm quite extroverted. That's a comfortable position. But it's it's sort of how I've always felt about birthdays, where for me, I was just, I don't know, I felt a little uncomfortable being like, it's my day. I'm going to make this thing all about me. Like, come celebrate me. Even though I love when other people do that and I love celebrating other people, there's just something about the almost like asking for recognition that for some reason, like, I wasn't really socialized that way. I think that's more of what it is for me. Hmm. See, it's, I'm a little bit different. I love my birthday. My birthday, I count down to it all freaking year long. I, I love my birthday because it is the only day that is all about me. The hmm. only day. But I don't really love receiving presents because I 
I really dislike having to like open a present and the pressure to like the present the right amount. <laughs> and do I get the, is there, do I get the like inside connection? Do I want the thing? Now I have to use that coffee, coffee cup forever. I feel panicked about that. I really struggle with receiving gifts. Okay. Well, when's your birthday? January 4th. January 4th, celebration, no gifts. I just wrote yes. that down. Yes, noted. Let's just get it down there. Yeah. The birthday <laughs> thing for me, um, Mine's June 13th, so coming up-ish, uh, me and my dad and my dad's mom all have the same birthday. Mm, which that's very spooky. Yeah, I don't know what the Vegas odds would be on three generations being born on the same day, but <laughs> they're probably pretty good odds. But yeah. I think that uh, part of the birthday thing for me is it's more when I was a kid, all of the focus was on me. I feel like that tends to happen when you're the child and it's your birthday. And now as an adult, I'm like, man, everyone else like <laughs> kind of got the shaft. So it's uh, changed sort of yeah. how I feel my birthday. But anyway. Whereas as a kid for me on my birthday, no one really did anything special because A, it's right after Christmas and B, we were poor and C, my mom didn't, my mom was my mom. And so, you know, uh, and so now I'm like, finally, there's a day about me. And I'm like, really uh adamant that you cannot mix so what if you do give me a gift you cannot mix birthday and christmas together that's a hard no yeah um my wife has to get me a gift and it needs to be a good one and it can't be something that's practical it has to be something that's like uh, this is this is why i'm annoying this is why she hates me because she's like you don't really care you don't really like gifts but if i do get you a gift it has to be like this and like there's all these like except for this rule but I'm very like, it can't be something that's like practical. It has to be something that I would never buy myself, which is why it's a gift. That makes sense. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Whereas she's like, I got you a AAA membership. It's so great. Look at these tools. And I'm like, that's, huh, no. <laughs> the politics of gift giving in your house. That's, uh-huh. I love that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting too what you said that because, you know, your birthday wasn't as big of a deal when you were younger and it, it, there's almost like a reclamation, right? Like now I can make this important for me. I feel like just in the overall topic of milestones, that is interesting to me too. You know, do we celebrate something just because it's been celebrated or what does it look like to decide for ourselves? Hey, this is important. I'm going to, you know, mark time in this way. So I actually realized like, Oh, as we're talking about this, I realized I don't really do a good job of celebrating my successes, but we as a family and I personally, we do a really good job of creating traditions. So I think if I replace traditions and celebrations, like if we switch those words out, we have a thousand of them. Like, when we decorate the tree on Christmas for Christmas, you have to have trimming of the tree chocolates because they are traditional trimming of the tree chocolates. And basically you have to have them and there's Christmas music and you have to eat so much chocolate until you feel sick while you decorate the tree because we just started it one year and it wasn't, it was like my father-in-law started it one year, 10 years ago. And like, but everything has some tradition like that. A birth on your birthday, we tell your birth story and you get, the meal of your choice for dinner. And we do yoga buck and flav or whatever, which is the like flooding of chocolate, flooding of books, a flood of books is what it's called. And it's like a Swedish tradition where on Christmas Eve, everybody gets chocolate and books instead of gifts. And you just all read under blankets, all hugaing. Like there's all these things. Everything has a tradition in our house. Everything has like this little touchstone. And I think that those are the way, we, like that's the way we celebrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, all of that sounds really lovely. I'm interested. 
I guess if we go outside of things that are maybe the more traditional milestones or celebrations, right? Like birthdays and, you know, Christmas that you you just mentioned, I think that it's common to have, whether it's some kind of celebration around that, or, you know, maybe even more so traditions, like you said, for you personally, I guess, let's maybe mm-hmm. just like dive right in. Tell me about a milestone that's been important in your life. I mean, me transitioning was huge. So me, like I, like the day I started testosterone is a big day for me. And it's that thing where like every September 14th, I go ahead and I like it's a I look at how far I've come and I usually journal about it and I I like mark the passage in time with words I do, we don't usually have a party or anything like that but I'm more like I yeah I don't I don't know that I'm a celebrator or a milestone marker in big uh, outwardly ways I am like more of an internal milestone marker so I definitely will like have written posts about it, will have written in my journal about it. I will have taken photos that are meaningful to me that day. I will probably will talk about it at dinner. And like every day at dinner, we talk about what's the important things going on in everyone's life today. And we all like, you know, every year when I is on my transition day or whatever, I will, will like have dinner and we'll talk about life before. And like, what's the thing that you didn't expect to learn from, from like dad transitioning and what, did you, what were you afraid of that didn't happen? And what, like, we just talk about things a lot. We do a lot of like marking in relationship rather than in celebration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that a lot. For me, some of your process of more internal reflection and writing about it, like you said, maybe writing a post about it. That's how I feel for me. May 1st is my soberversary. And that's mm-hmm. always a point of reflection for me to maybe almost more so than my birthday or other times yeah. of year, sometimes even more so than, you know, the traditional like New Year's type of stuff. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it really is uh, exactly what you said a looking back of, wow, this is how far I've come. And I'm always grateful. It's interesting now that it's been so long. It's been nine years, which that feels like a wild amount of time anyway. But there you go, killing it. Thank you. I, 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 it's been ma- making me think about almost how that reflection changes over time. And I don't know if that's something that, that you want to talk about of, you know, something that maybe felt like really acute on the first point of reflection, like then does that kind of feel less important and it becomes about other things, you know, maybe like you could talk a little bit about how this particular celebration is the right word, but like reflection on this has changed for you. Yeah, I think, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, And so I think that we all look back and go, Oh, those are the good old days or like, Oh, that was really was a shitty time. And I didn't think it was going to get better, but it did or whatever it is. And I, you know, I think I can look back on things that mattered to me when I first transitioned. Like, I would never have worn a lot of the things that I wear now. I have no problem wearing, like, you know, a little bit more femme dude's clothes. I wear skinny jeans, and I would wear a pink shirt no problem. And, like, there's just, I, there are things that I would do now that I wouldn't have done then because I was insecure. Mm-hmm. Uh, even like, okay, well, we've got this hair situation going on during COVID here. And I am like a meticulous hair keeper. I am like, I go to the barber every three weeks. I really wish I could go every 10 days, but that seems a little bit costly and not realistic. So I go every three weeks and I have not gone in like, mm, 
nine weeks or something like that now. And it's stressing me out. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll grow a man bun because I've never had one of those before. I've never had a mullet. I've never had hockey hair. Maybe I should grow out all the different hairstyles that I didn't get to have as like, you know, when you're like a kid and you have like all the worst haircuts, but like, you're like, oh yeah, back when I had that bowl cut, or remember when I cut my own bangs, that was terrible, <laughs> or like whatever it is, or like that time, like for women, they've usually like all had a perm at some terrible time. They've all bleached their hair in a way that they shouldn't have. And they have all like cut their own bangs in a way that was just a terrible choice. And guys have like shaved their head. They've grown the mullet. They had the hockey hair. They did that mushroom cut for a while that was like shaved underneath, but then was like a bowl cut on top. Oh God, I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was huge. Like, cause we're like the same age, right? So I remember all all the cool boys that I was like, "Ugh, Jacob Turwick, how are you so good at sports? And you have that cool haircut. And like, you know. Yeah, I don't even know where Jacob is, but I remember his hair. <laughs> Jacob, if you're listening, send us current hair photos. <laughs> right? Give me a current hair photo of Jacob Turwick. Yep. That's what I'm that's what I'm saying. So yeah, like I, I was like, oh, but now I'm secure enough in my masculinity and that my hair to like if someone were to accidentally misgender me from behind, I would be like not worried about that. Whereas before that would have put me in a funk for days like it would have just cut me right to the core mm-hmm. you know yeah that's really interesting it's I know you didn't use this phrase but what I'm like kind of hearing and what you're saying is this idea of maybe like the crutches or the training wheels that you need at the beginning of a significant period of time like whether that is a period of some kind of transition or just the type of stuff that we're talking about what you need to get you started isn't necessarily what you need two years three years four years down the line yeah, because we build all these muscles, right? Like we build all all this endurance and buffer and we get different perspective and things change and the world changes. And it's like, I don't know if so much of it is even that I have changed as like, I mean, it, it is that I have changed, but I can't tell how much of it is that I have just changed on my own and how much of it is that like, oh, four years, three years later, I don't even know how long it is now. And the world is a much friendlier place to be trans the world is like people, most people know of someone who's transgender now. It's a little less like weird in air quotes. Um, And so, you know, because there's more representation, because there's, I'm less concerned about my physical safety, because there are more gender neutral bathrooms even, I feel as though like, I can't tell how much is just that I've changed and how much is that the world has changed. I mean, I'm sure it's a combination of both. Yeah. Yeah. So three to four years, that's a significant period of time, right? For, for anything to happen. Yeah. And so you mentioned a couple of the maybe more external things that have changed, right? You said like maybe you would be more comfortable wearing things now that you wouldn't have been as comfortable with three to four years ago. What are some other things that you feel like have changed for you sort of between September 14th, like number one and, you know, upcoming later this year? Yeah, I think I had a lot of ideas about masculinity, about who I had to be to be seen as a man. Not like, not even like so other people would see me as a man, but so that like I could prove that I was a good man, you know, like that I was capable of making a lot of money to take care of my family. Like that if that like being able to like take care of them and pay the bills and like 
even like my wife makes more money than me. And I, it, it was like a real thing in the beginning that I was like, oh, that feels terrible. I don't like it. Everyone's going to know that I suck and that I'm not a real man because I don't have the same earning potential because I don't have the same male privilege. I didn't walk through the world through it. And I don't know how to just take what I want. And I don't like all those sort of things. I had all this story about it. And the truth is, is like, actually now I'm like, get, get yours, babe. Yeah. I'm here hanging out. You want me to work three days a week and you'll work five? That's wicked. I'm into it. I'll just be the farmer, stay-at-home dad. Cool. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about almost like the the fake criteria for belonging, right? Mm. You know, that we think, okay, in order for me to be X, right, that it has to look like this very specific way, which makes sense if that's what we have seen modeled to us and so that it makes sense if we're going to try to step into that and we have no idea really what we're doing, that we step into it by imitation almost. Yeah, and it's it's just like stepping into a really broken system and being like, I'll just go with the broken thing instead of being the one fish that's swimming the other way going, this doesn't make any sense, everybody. Like, you know, do you have a specific memory that you could share of a time where, you know, one of those criteria, obviously you just mentioned the, you know, I need, I need to be the breadwinner. I need to be the, you know, higher earner where there was something that you really thought was going to have to be true. And then you were like, this doesn't, this doesn't feel good for me. Or I actually don't care about this, even though I, you know, thought that I was supposed to. I mean, I think the money one is a big one. I think the idea of what I'm supposed to know how to do, what my knowledge base is meant to be, is another sort of thing. Like, I don't know how to change my oil or my brake pads. I don't care to. I would much rather pay someone to do it. Like, that's just, that's, I don't care. I think that there are a lot of ideas about who I needed to be as a parent that I've sort of given up on the idea that like, I mean, even when I had my, my kids originally, I, I was like, okay, now that I'm going to be a mom, I have to be a really good girl. And so like, like I have to be good at being a girl. I should wear more girl clothes. I should do more girl things. I should, I grew my hair back out from being short because like, that's what a good mom would be. And then even while still identifying as a mom, it was things like, I, I then was like getting tattoos and that that was like a big deal because moms don't get tattoos, you know? And I, I don't know. I just think a lot of my ideas about those sorts of things changed. What makes a good mom? What makes a good parent? You know, the idea that like I used to have this concept that because I birthed my kids, that that meant that I was, I was, would be the more connected parent no matter what, because like, that's the way it is because moms are better than dads. And now I look at it and go, oh, actually, like I am just as connected to my eldest child who is not my my birth child as I am my youngest child who I birthed most recently. You know, like there's all these places where I I thought that things had to be one way, but they're not. They're they're a totally different way. And it just comes down to like what are our our walls that we've put up? What's the framework that we've put our ideas in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thinking about this time frame, the last, you know, three to four years with this specifically, what would you say you feel most proud of? Mm -hmm. I think I feel most proud of how I have shown my kids how a man can show up for them. Like what a good dad is, what a good husband is, what a good man is, what a good spouse is, 
like not just the male side of things, but like what a good partner is, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Will you say a little bit more about that? Like specifically? Yeah, because I think that, um, you know, we live in a very feminist house, but we live in a very misogynistic world. And specifically living in rural Alberta, um, we live in a very patriarchal, misogynistic world. And there's so much of life that you try and shield your kids from, but then they go off to school and you realize that they're spending more time with their friends and their teachers and the people around them there than they are with you every week. Because, I mean, we have five kids. I don't have a ton of one-on-one time with all of my kids all the time. Like that doesn't, they spend more time with their friends. This is like at 10, 11 and 13. It's just sort of the way COVID means other things, but we can hit on that later. But like, I don't have as much of an influence on them as I wish that I, I did. And so the outside world comes in and, you know, has my six year, my five year old son saying that he can't like pink and has my, you know, kid being like, that's gay. And I'm like, but wait, your, your whole family is queer. You can't say things like that. I don't understand. Like, you know, um, and instead we're teaching them that like, oh, dads are just as good and just as connected to their children as moms are. And I am just as active at at the kids' school as, actually, I'm more active than my wife is at the kids' school. And I am probably the more hands-on parent a lot of the time in a lot of ways. I do all the cooking. Like, we have shown our kids what to expect out of a partner. We've shown our kids what what an egalitarian relationship actually looks like. We let them see us fight. We let them see us make up. We let them, like, we are showing our kids how to do the world differently than the than TV and society shows them how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, I mean, 100% is something to be proud of. Congratulations on that. Uh, thank you. I mean, I fuck it up all the time. Don't get me wrong. W- one time I yelled at my kid at the movie theater when uh, it was like a small movie theater and he had decided that he didn't want to have to share popcorn with anybody. We're like in the concession stand and we're like, really like one of it's like us and like some other teenagers working behind it. And he was like, well, I just want my own popcorn. And they were like, not there. Like where we go to movies here, there are these little tiny bucket things. And they're like, like a little kid snack pack. But there it was like, it only had a giant tub, like the old school popcorn giant tubs. And I was like, you can't even eat that much popcorn. And he like threw a whole fit. And at one point I just was like, listen, you'll get what you fucking get and you will, you'll like it. And like, it was at this moment that like the whole movie theater like went quiet and like everyone just watched me swear at my kid. And so I'm just letting you know that although I am a great dad, I still told my kid he would get what he fucking got at the movie theater in front of a bunch of strangers. So. Yeah. I mean, and like, obviously I honor sometimes. Well, yeah. And I, I honor the, like, I guess like, authenticity, right? And like real talk that you're bringing to that. And also there was no part of my mind that thought that that something like that wasn't the case, because I think that that's almost one of the issues when we talk about like celebrations or milestones or what's allowed to be important. It it sometimes has this like expectation of perfection, you know, even going back to talking about the holidays, right? The holiday season, there's always, or not always, but there can be sort of this undercurrent of that there's a right way to do it, or there's a perfect way to do it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I always kind of joke about how I'm someone who struggles 
struggles with uh, like mandatory fun events, like New Year's Eve, you're supposed to have such a good time, right? Or anytime there's that expectation, like this is supposed to be shiny in such and such a way, or like I really shy away from that, or that it almost makes me have less fun, whatever the expectations are. And so I even think it's interesting, you know, when you were saying showing up to be like a good parent, a good partner, a good dad, a good man, like all of those things, I don't think you can be fully showing up if you're not also fucking up. And right. I think it's it's interesting, like almost that, and I do, I do the exact same thing, so I'm not saying this at you, but that we almost feel like the need to justify, like, no, 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 but I'm not perfect. Don't worry. Like nobody's perfect, right? Like we don't, nothing about it, but it is interesting. It's like, I almost wonder how much of that is cultural conditioning that kind of blocks us from being able to celebrate ourselves or be proud in sort of the way that we're talking about. If, you know, the moment we have the recognition of the accomplishment, we have this like really quick desire to be like, to almost deflect it, right? Like, no, 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 don't worry. Like I'm a hot mess, which obviously isn't what you said, but there, I, I see that coming <laughs> up a lot with people, yeah. myself included. I mean, we're, no one, we're uncomfortable with it. We're like, I don't want to be, I have to be modest, but I don't want to be whatever. And, but then there's this, like this drive for authenticity and realness. And we're all sick of scrolling through Instagram and seeing everyone's perfect life and their blonde children with their blue eyes and their husband who definitely doesn't leave his socks on the floor. Like, you know, like we're all sort of sick of seeing that. So I think there's a part of it is just a little push of like, but don't worry. I'm just like you. You're not doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do. I think that it's like sometimes we can be trying so hard to make other. Like for me, I'm such a. I'm an enneagram too. I'm such a caretaker, and I have a three wing, which means I need to be the best caretaker. <laughs> um, and I think for me, I'm like, oh, I just want. I want to take care of you by telling everyone out there that like, don't worry if you yelled at your kid today, it's okay too. Yeah. But inadvertently, I do. I put my own self down, and I bet you there's energetically something going on there with that. Yeah, I mean, and I, but I, I think, like, I mean, this is why I love having these kinds of conversations because it is, it's more nuanced than any one answer. Because, on one hand, the reminder that you yelled at your kid, if someone is listening who feels really guilty for yelling at their kid this morning, no question that's gonna, you know, that moment of solidarity is gonna make them feel less alone. So, we do need to talk about these things. I just wonder. Like if how we talk about it, yes, we're making other people feel less alone, which is worth it. Obviously, that's like the mission of most of my work. And then, <laughs> but sometimes I ask myself, like, at what personal cost? I don't know. There, there's just like something in that of like, can you just allow yourself to feel good or to you know be proud of your accomplishments? You know, whether it's career wise or as a partner or as a parent, without having to you know. But don't worry, this is the dark underbelly of the. Th- I don't know. There's like something in that that's interesting to me, and I don't think that there's a right answer. I think like anything else, it's a balance of all of it. But I think I think you're onto something here. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean- <laughs> Actually, when you when you think of when, when you're talking about it, I'm like, yeah. But and then the funny thing is that like we're not really we're we're still just telling people the part that we're okay telling about. We're exactly. not like actually showing this like well this gnarly thing I'm really embarrassed to tell you about. Like that, you know, this is where I've healed past that moment enough to be able to look back on it and laugh at it. So it's not. It is sort of like performative nonetheless, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's, this is, I mean, this is such a both and situation because I agree with that. And also, I think that we don't owe anyone the sharing of things that, like, they haven't earned that level of intimacy, right, with us yet. That I don't know who benefits from us sharing from something that we haven't healed from. Like, that's just a mess, right? Yes. Such a mess. Yeah. Uh huh. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, I talk a lot about that 
online, when, like as I share, is I always say that I it's important to talk from the scar, not the wound, right? That like, uh, and I think that that goes back actually. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but if you're if like the wound is still open, you you can't actually share about it without just spraying blood and pus and all the gross things on everybody else and making and like sliming them to make them feel sick and nasty too. Like you need bloodborne pathogen kits here, folks. And until that happens, like until you've done a little bit of healing and you're talking from that scar spot where like, Oh, I can see that that wound was there, but it's not, it's not open anymore. It's not active. It's not, I'm not going to get triggered. And like, lash out at you because of it anymore there's there's like healing done there and and i think it goes back to talking in the very beginning about the things that i was comfortable with at one point and like in my transition and then things that i i didn't need later in the crutches i think that maybe the idea is that like actually when i came out it was just like it was i was a really wounded person and i needed i couldn't speak from those those wounds were all so raw that i couldn't speak from them yet i had to wait until they started to heal before I could start to move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and the kind of external validation or support or like propping up or handholding that we might need at the most emotional part of something, which is often the beginning, mm -hmm. that as we start to develop more of that kind of resilience within ourselves, and as you've talked about, kind of comfort with what whatever the whatever the change is, if we're comfortable with it ourselves, we we need that less from other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah which is something that I always find like almost in a dark humor way, like hilariously unfortunate that some like the emotional hardest time of like making a change or doing something big. It like, you need the most at the beginning when it's the hardest to do. <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like that. It's, you know, when people get divorced and they're like that, well, I, I need the most support ever. And I'm also alone and I have no money. So, but I also am pretty upset and it's hard to think about things. So working is hard. So also I might now be a single parent. So that like when you need the support the most, it's not there. It's mm -hmm. exactly what you're sort of saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the last thing that I want to ask about, um, sort of this, I don't even, I keep using the word milestone just cause that's what we're using, yeah. but obviously as you have talked about, <laughs> we can't like fit a three to four and not just a three to four year journey, obviously like a lifelong journey down into yeah. just one word. But if you were to look ahead, let's say maybe another three years, right? So like September 14th, you know, whatever, three ish years from now, what would you love to be true at that point? Hmm. I would love to not have spots where I still hate myself. Yeah. Can you say a little more about that? Yeah. I think that there's so many places where I've healed and I've stopped like hating the parts of me that don't feel aligned. You know, I have had my top surgery and my revision, it didn't go perfectly. And my revision didn't happen because COVID it got canceled. And I recognize that like they're saying in Alberta that elective surgeries are going to be three to five years behind. And so I'm, I have just accepted that I'll never have a revision on my top surgery because I don't, I don't want to hold my life up that much. And I have moved on and accepted that. And I have learned to like my chest in its own little weird way and I'll get it all tattooed and I'll be fine. But I haven't, there's, there's places where I haven't quite gotten to that acceptance. You know, I haven't gotten to the acceptance of the fact that I don't have a penis, like that sucks. And that I don't get to have the, some of the same experiences that, that cis men do sucks and that my wife and I can't 
make a baby of our own, you know, DNA sucks. I've mostly moved on from that one because I'm like, oh, our family's fantastic and wonderful and we couldn't fit any more children anyway. And like, we, we both love our kids so much, all of them. And there is no differentiation between biological and not that I realized like, oh, I actually don't need that. But it was a really hard thing to move on from for a while. And every once in a while, it can make me sad still, you know, Mm -hmm. but I am learning to find places in myself that I like as well. What do you feel like helps you get to a place of acceptance with something that you're struggling with? Because I feel like, and obviously this is all just like projections of my own shit. So like take this out, but like that it's, I think so often it's really easy to think about something like acceptance, uh, like to falsely think of it as a light switch, right? Like I accept this about myself. I don't accept this about myself, right. Or to go from the don't to the do, it's just like, okay, and now I do. And there has never been a single time in my life where it hasn't been a very gradual process, right. Similar to a lot of the things that you have shared. And yet, just because there isn't a, you know, and maybe you do know the like magic secret solution, in which case for sure share it with us, but I'm not, I'm not under the impression that that exists, but I'm interested to know if there is anything that has helped you or even like you said, those, you know, couple of things that you still are working through in this regard, like things either that you're feeling really disappointed about or, you know, that things that actually aren't going to change, right? Like there's are there are things that are within our control or that are within our sphere of influence or whatever. But I also think that it's empowering to be real, realistic about the things that it's like, I actually can't change this. So then how to move toward yeah. acceptance. If there's anything in there that you want to talk about, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, I think, I mean, I can't grow a penis currently. Right, That's right. I could have bottom surgery, but for me, the amount of bot, like the amount of, uh, it's like a year and a half process and it's super complicated. And there's literally, I don't know anyone who hasn't had a complication and your life sort of stops. And for me, the results are not what I desire. And so the really, like, it's that like thing where you're, you're sort of like, there isn't a fix. There's, there's nothing I can do about it. There's, they're literally, it is with, it's out of my control. I can't do a thing about it. And a lot of the time that just makes me really, really, really angry. And it was the same way when I, when I had top surgery, like before I had it, it just made me really angry and I was out of my control and there was nothing that I could do. And I just had to wait. And I, my big thing is I have found that the more I try not to be angry, the more I try and be like, I can be okay with this. It's fine. Versus just being really fucking pissed or really sad or really whatever. And like having my rage and feeling it all the way through. And then like, honestly, grief is not linear. So having it again and again and again and again and again. And I feel like every time I have those like big outbursts of feelings about it, it's like I've processed a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. As you were talking, one of the things I just wrote down, I tend to take a lot of notes while I'm recording it and helps me focus and is also just useful. I wrote like grief slash celebration, right? Meaning like that there's some kind of relationship there, right? That there is, is, yeah. is in order to be able to get, not that, not that we have to go through grief to earn celebration. I absolutely don't believe that that's true. Something can just be purely joyful. We don't have to, like suffering is not the gateway to joy. We don't have to earn joy. I believe that very strongly. And that I think a lot of times the things that we're the most proud of are the things that we tend to mark with milestones. They're milestones because they're important to us and they're important to us because we did have have to go through or overcome something that maybe still gives us 
you know, those feelings of anger and grief, that's what it's important to us because of that, because of the fire that we walked through. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's why people whose parents pay for their university and it's just like a given versus people who work their way through have different grades, right? Like there, there is something about the struggle. There's something about this, like that not always some people whose parents paid for everything and they're really hard working, good achievers, but there's that joy of like, I did it and I accomplished this thing. And I like, I saved up for it and I worked my ass off and I got the good grades and I did it. Like there's some, there's some goodness in that. There's some, like, there's something that feeds our soul in that. Mm -hmm. Even if we look at like people who become millionaires and then become miserable because there isn't, there's that struggle isn't there anymore. Right. I do think that part of the human experience is going after things and working towards them and having a little bit of struggle, not like the world is ending and you're being marginalized or whatever, like not real, you know what I mean? But like, I think that part of it is that like light and dark, the shadow and the sun and the, uh, the all of it. Like, I, I think that there has to be one with it. There can't be one without the other in mm-hmm. some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. So when you look ahead, um, I guess maybe if, if possible, like stepping out of the, to- like the topics that we've talked about so far, like putting that aside, any yeah. upcoming, they don't even necessarily have to be like milestones, but like things that you are feeling like proud of or particularly excited about, or like things that just, I don't know, feel important to you coming up. Yeah. We are getting ready to move our family to a small farming Island off the coast of BC. So that feels really exciting. And it's been a thing we've been sort of working towards for a while now. And it's actually happening and we're just, you know, we're having a lot of disappointments in trying to buy a house and find a place to live, but that's just part of it. And, it, and as you, as we just talked about, I think it will be even sweeter when we end up like on the right piece of property with the right uh, place and the, like everything has come together and it's, it will be great because it's been so terrible trying to find a place mm-hmm. now. Maybe it will feel sweeter. I don't know. So we're doing that. We, COVID times mean that's that we are spending so much friggin' time with our kids, which in some ways is very, very hard, but also, you know, we have three preteens. I think that it's the last, it's like this sweet bubble of time that like maybe one of the last times where we are a really tight knit nuclear close family and they're not like off with their partners and their friends who are more important than us and their screens who are more important than us. Like it's this last little bit. And so I even think of that as like this celebration. Yeah. Which requires being present enough to realize that like something is special is happening while it's happening, which I think is really lovely. Yeah. I mean, also I cry sometimes cause it's terrible, but uh, you know, that's, that's the way it is. I'm like COVID times, quarantine 2020. Yeah. Well, this is like the best and worst of times. <laughs> Um, okay. So with sort of, I guess you just like set me up perfectly for that. Um, I would love to end with some like rapid fire quarantine related questions. If you were down for that. Yeah. Man. <laughs> What's been your favorite thing to eat while you've been at home? Pancakes. Ooh, pancakes. Any particular kind? Uh, I have a great buttermilk pancake recipe. It's fantastic. I'll email it to you, but I think you're plant-based, aren't you? Um, yeah, that that's a longer story, but uh, go ahead. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, but yeah, buttermilk pancakes with uh, maple sausage. 
It's my go-to. It's like my comfort food. That and we're eating a lot of like a really simple spaghetti with like a tomato sauce that I make from scratch. Nice. Yeah. If, if this entire show notes is a buttermilk pancake recipe, that would bring me a lot of joy. So, be, I yes. can handle that for you. Uh, something that has been good for escapism, whether there's a TV show, a book, a YouTube series, anything that you have enjoyed during this time? We actually have enjoyed escaping by creating our own YouTube videos. Ooh. Okay. I yeah, feel like that's so- something that I should have seen and haven't seen. And I'm now going to go look up. <laughs> Oh, it's good. There are some TikTok dances that I teach you. There is a whole cooking with wild children's cooking show that is my kids have all like taken an area like dangers is dangerous demos. And she teaches you how to do TikTok dances alongside me. She teaches us together. Wilds is cooking with wild. She teaches six-year-old cooking classes. So how to make toast, how to make a peanut butter and jam, <laughs> jam sandwich. Yeah. How to crack an egg how to make cereal, like just really cute, adorable stuff. And she is maybe like the the most natural TV personality that's ever been. So check that out. And then Epix is being epic. And he teaches you, he does reviews on like scooters and pogo sticks and things like that uh, and dance moves. So I am incredibly excited that this is something that I am just now finding out about because watching a young child teach me how to make toast sounds like the biggest joy of my life. So it's pretty good. What's your yeah. um, YouTube? Uh, it's Beautiful Families Project. Um, yeah, I just rewatched your documentary this morning, which I mean, oh. made me cry the first time I saw it, made me cry again today. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yes, I love it. Okay, one of the silliest things that you have done so far in quarantine. Mm. We started a game called Dumb Stuff with my kids that I record every once in a while. And we did we do things like um, those stupid challenges, like the paper towel roll challenge where you drink water out of a paper towel roll as a straw. And it turns out that it chokes you every time, no matter what. (laughs) Uh, We did a chubby bunny like contest where you just you put a marshmallow in your mouth all at the same time and say chubby bunny until someone can't say chubby bunny anymore without all the marshmallows falling out. And whoever gets the most marshmallows in their mouth wins. It's very dangerous. Things like that. We're doing a lot of like dumb stuff with my kids. Just hanging out with my kids. What's something that has brought you comfort? My dog. Mm. Yeah. What's something that you feel like you have learned specifically about yourself through this experience? that I am way more introverted than I give myself credit for. I actually thought of myself as an extrovert, but the truth is, is that I just am an introvert who got a lot of alone time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, as soon as your circumstances change so much, of course, that's going to illuminate what was and wasn't working, uh, you know, in your life before. Yeah. But I am an, I am one of those extroverted introverts. So like when I'm out, I'm like really on and then I'm exhausted and done And I also find that because I'm such a caretaker that I find being alone is the only time I can stop worrying about other people and actually worry about myself. I could not agree with that more. I feel like you just spoke that right out of my heart. (laughs) Yeah. There's something about, I need to be the only person home, the only person in the space to feel like I can completely turn off. Yeah. Otherwise I'm like, Oh, well, do you need a drink? And is my clearing my throat too much for you? Was I shaking my leg while we were watching TV? So sorry about that. Oh, do you need, like, I just, I can't turn it off. Oh my God. You and I are the same. (laughs) I wonder what you're thinking. I wonder if you're disappointed in me right now. Should I be doing something? (laughs) Like, Like, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with like the deepest recognition. Yes. 
we're the same person. I love it. I know. I feel like we had one of those moments when we recorded last time too. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I, the, the introvert extrovert thing is interesting. I, I mean, again, we're mostly somewhere on a spectrum, right? It's not mm-hmm. like a binary thing, but I, uh, have realized through this period of time, how much, and I don't know if this, cause I, I, I am pretty extroverted, but I really need in order to like be fully relaxed and, or in order to get good work done, I need to have complete control over my environment, right? Like whether there's music on or not, like whether it's like whatever temperature it, like back, like that. So I don't know if it's like a control freaky thing, but that has definitely um, become apparent to me during this time. Yeah, I can understand that. I have my own office and actually my wife and I started sleeping apart. So I sleep in my office and she sleeps in her room slash office. And then we like have sleepovers for fun times which is like kind of weird for some people, but I think actually that it's, it's like, because I really love to work between two and 4am. That is when I write my best stuff. It's when I process things best. I'm an insomniac. I wake up pretty much around two or three every single morning and I'm awake for like an hour and a half and then I go back to bed. Mm. That is not conducive. to like my wife who likes to, you know, sleep through the night, like a regular person, (laughs) uh, and so I would like be laying there in bed trying to like type quietly type things on my phone or like just laying there staring at the ceiling and either she would be pissed because I was not that quietly typing things on my phone or I would be pissed because I resented her for sleeping beside me and stopping me from doing anything. And if I got up and went downstairs and then came back up to our room, it was this whole thing. And so we literally have separate rooms now and we're we're those people. Listen, that's my dream. If I never share a a bed, I mean, a room would be, that would be ideal. having my own bedroom. If I never share a bed with someone else again, it is too soon. Like I, yeah, sleepovers sound great. Like let's have all the sex and then you go back to your room and like, goodbye. Like that is just, yeah, my my partner and I are the same way now. And so it's an interesting thing. I'm always grateful when people are willing to, it seems like such a small thing to like speak up about it. It shouldn't be a big deal, but anything like this, that's, you know, there are people that hear that and they're like, Oh my God, something must be wrong with your relationship, you know? And it's like, no, that's not the case. I'm like, no, it's hotter than ever. Let me tell you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. A couple more questions for you. Anything that you want to say to other parents in quarantine listening to this? Um, you are not doing it wrong if you are just surviving and you didn't wear pants today. Yes. Yes. If you could leave our whole community, the listeners with one call to action, what would that be? Maybe a question to ask themselves, a small action to take. I would say my personal favorite thing to do, speaking of milestones and celebrations, is to find touchstones for the things that matter to you. So one of the things that, you know, when I transitioned, someone gave me a pocket knife to be like, well, like this, every like good dad needs a pocket knife to like do this and do that and like cut open Christmas gifts on Christmas morning and do whatever. And I have this like pocket knife that is I like, it's important to me and it's this touchstone to me and it, it will always signify like a, that moment and like my transition, but I have things like that for everything. I have a pair of boots that I bought when I got divorced. I, I, I really like touchstones because it lets you go back to that celebratory moment again and again and again and again. And it gets to be part of your like everyday story rather than just this one time you celebrated something. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. I also find that really empowering the idea that 
it's up to us to make something a little bit more special, right? That we can, it almost can, I feel like the critique could be like, oh, that sounds manufactured. I like bought these things to celebrate the same, but like it's not. I feel like there's something really important about being like, this is a period of time that matters to me. This, you know, I want to mark this in some way. I, I like to do that with tattoos. (laughs) That tends to be. I actually would say I also have tattoos for the same reason. All my tattoos are the same sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I really like that. The idea of, you know, and if something, I also think, you know, I guess to add on to that for folks, I think it's also important to celebrate small things. I think that sometimes smaller things get overlooked. I was just having this conversation um, with someone who a couple months ago finished the first draft of their book and kind of blew past it of like, oh, I'll celebrate like, you know, when it's published, right? Or on the launch date. And not to say those things aren't also worth celebrating, but it's like celebrate the work that you put. It's not always, it's not only the outcome. Yeah. And I will say that my wife has taught me that more than anyone because she runs this, the Queen Suite program and her one of the main pillars of the Queen Suite program is it's called We Brags. So the idea that like you should brag about all the little shit, like you should have a spot where you get to celebrate you when it's just like, oh, my God, huh, I paid my taxes today and it was so overwhelming and terrible. But like that's something to celebrate sometimes like what is hard for you is really different than what's hard for someone else. And sometimes like picking up the phone and having to call the bank for me is a thing that I have a wee brag about because I'm, they instantly are like, you're not that person. Your voice sounds like this. Your name is this. That doesn't line up. And I have to prove who I am and I have to explain that I'm trans and I have to do whatever. And like, I just wanted to call and like, cause my, ex- my card was going to expire or whatever, or I like the mag strip didn't work anymore. And like, it, it's this big overwhelming thing that I have to do, but it, no one else would think that it's worthy to celebrate that I called the bank. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It being important to you is enough of a reason. Yeah. 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 I think that's, I think that's beautiful. What is the best place for people to find you and say, hi, do you have a particular favorite way right now to connect with new folks? My very favorite way is Instagram. Yeah. Epic danger. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. This was so delightful. Nick, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I love being, my ego loves being one of your favorites, (laughs) really. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I'm about to answer a listener question. But first, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer who has been with me from the very beginning. Adam created the music for this show way back in 2015, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. This show would not exist without his help. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And now let's get to Jackie's question. Hi, Nicole. This is Jackie Hart, and I'm wondering what has been your biggest challenge in creating the podcast and what has been your biggest success? Thanks. You know, Jackie, I would say that the answer to both of these questions is actually the same thing. The biggest challenge has been to create a show with a non-traditional business model, right? So one that doesn't rely on ads or sponsors, even though I did experiment with that for a couple of seasons early on, you know, it quickly became clear that that wasn't the path forward that felt in the most integrity for me. And so creating a show that is a hundred percent listener funded, and even more importantly, a show that for the past 
what, year and a half now, maybe a little bit more, has been able to pay all of its guests with higher rates always paid, of course, to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. That setup, right, of being 100% listener funded and paying all of the guests and having different rates of compensation, it's not something that I have ever seen done. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the only one who's doing it. There's bajillion podcasts out there. It's very possible that someone else is doing the same thing, but there's anyone that I know of that is doing it exactly like this. And so anytime you're doing something that doesn't have a blueprint or a roadmap, something like that, it can feel sort of like you know, pushing a boulder up a sand mountain. That is the analogy that I have used for this before, because you're essentially having to convince people to opt into a way of doing things that's really different from what they're used to, right? Most of us are used to, if we listen to a podcast, it either has lots of ads and sponsors, you know, at the beginning, usually in the middle as well, um, or there aren't any ads, but the podcast is a marketing arm of an existing business. And there's absolutely nothing wrong, you know, with either of those business models. It just wasn't the right fit for me. But since that's what folks are most used to, anytime you're doing something different, you know, it's it's sort of that extra hurdle to jump over. And the fact that it has been able to be possible, right, to create now 201 episodes and a lot of it with this business model that feels like a huge success. I feel immensely proud of being able to pay my guests. That matters a, a really a lot to me. And to have built this thing that doesn't answer to anyone that really is a product of love by and for this community, that feels like a huge success, even though it was also <laughs> a challenge for sure. Oh, it's nice to reflect on that. Thank you, Jackie, for the question. And until next time, here is a big virtual hug for everyone and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.